With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Man was saved by grace. Recorded live. But by his works, his faith is shown. His life reflects the work God has done. Through the light of his holy son. There's nothing man can do. He cannot earn a thing. It's only through God's Son the grace that He will bring. There's nothing man can say to God who lifts the moon. It's only by God's grace. It's not what man can do. God has chosen who He will call. It's not by man's choice at all. His mercy given at such a great cost. Through the blood of his son on the cross. There's nothing man can do. He cannot earn a thing. It's only through God's son. The grace that he will bring. There's nothing man can say. To God who lifts the moon, it's only by God's grace, it's not what man can do, there's nothing man can do, man was saved by grace alone. Good afternoon from the southern shores of Oregon on March 7th. 2016th on a Monday. <clears throat> well, welcome to the broadcast. Uh, you know, as you know, the invitation that I sent out that uh, um, that Richard Bennett was going to be here. Well, Richard Bennett uh, uh, had his little health problem, and so he couldn't make it. He is up in his years. And uh, I'm 71, and he's 78, so I got to give him a little break <laughs> anyway uh, uh, but because Richard was going to be on the broadcast uh, I did some uh, research I did a little web page I put it in the room there and uh, and also I just want to tell everybody and share everybody from the heart of what uh, reading Michael Semblin's book the foundations under attack the roots of apostasy and uh, uh, you know, and one of the reasons that we uh, invited Richard Bennett to the broadcast for this broadcast, because in this chapter, chapter 15 in the book, The Abandoning of the Protestant Reformed Religion, uh, on page 156, uh, you know, the author quotes him out of his book, Catholicism, East of Eden. So, <clears throat> so you know, one thing I just wanted to say a little bit about Richard Bennett, because uh, Richard Bennett, though he might not be here today, is very prevalent in our 
with what this chapter is all about. Uh, uh, a short little profile. Richard Bennett spent 21 years as a as a Roman Catholic priest in in Trinidad. After a serious accident in 1972, he began to study seriously the Bible. After 14 years of contrasting Catholicism to Bible biblical truth, he was convicted by the gospel message. Now, listen, what he what here he was convicted by the gospel message. In 1986, he saw that justification is not being inwardly just as Rome taught, but being accepted in Christ. He was then saved by God's grace alone and formally left the Roman Catholic Church and his priesthood. He has founded an evangelistic ministry of Catholics called Burian Beacon. And also on this webpage, I have his webpage, and also uh, on this page is uh, his testimony of 21 years. And it's a video where he actually goes back to Ireland and, and makes the recordings right from, from some of the sources where he was talking about. But why is this so important, and what, why does this relate to, to, uh, to Walt Stickle, the host on Hour of Discernment. Well, see, it wasn't until six months ago that the word Arminianism, Arminianism was not even in my vocabulary. And and we hear, you know, we hear of the Reformation, and I'm sure most of the listeners in here have 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 uh, read Romanism and the Reformation. In Roman in the Reformation tells us. Uh, Henry Grattan Guinness was very specific with his nine lectures that he that he give, had given about that the all the reformers all the reformers agreed and pinned the tail on the donkey that uh, that the papacy the papacy itself was the antichrist but what has been lost you can understand who the papacy is, you can understand that uh, that it's the biblical antichrist, but what has been forgotten is what and how the ecumenical movement grew and, 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 we, and what we've grown into what we have today with the 10 mega churches just in Mega churches, you know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about uh, Rick Warren's church and Joel Olstein, and there's all these mega churches are built on a false gospel. They're built on a on Arminianism. They're built on a man-centered religion. And and as we've been going through this book. From the very beginning, we the first chapter we covered uh, dispensational futurism. But the most important aspect is what this chapter is talking about, and what's happened in what's going on in 2016. So when Richard Bennett, when he came out of Roman Catholicism and landed here in America, you know, 
How was he? How was he accepted? And what was his battle? Could you, could you, Larry? Just uh, and by the way, excuse me. I didn't. Larry, Larry Phillips is here with me as my co-host today. Larry, could you kind of fill in uh, just a, uh, some of this, a little bit of of of, of what uh, Richard Bennett uh, uh, when he when he came to America as a former Catholic and uh, and and what some of the movements that he encountered. Okay. Well, I've known Richard for going on, well, I guess about 12 years now, and uh, consider him a, a friend and a brother in Christ. In fact, you know, at one point, I was thinking about going to Austin to help uh, Richard in, in ministry. Um, but uh, anyway, yeah, when he came over to the United States, you know, he he was grappling with where he should, you know, align himself with, and and uh, he'd struggled with a lot of the Armenian tracts. And by the way, this is uh, on his uh, on his sermons on sermon audio. He'd struggled with a lot of the Armenian tracts over in uh, Canada because they held a free will message. But he didn't understand the total difference between uh, uh, he didn't understand the total difference between the Baptist churches in America and some of the other ones. And uh, when he got over here, he, he ended up going, his first church that he actually aligned was aligned with was uh, Charles Stanley. And uh, he found out pretty quickly that they were Arminian and uh, found himself, I won't go into a lot of detail, but he found himself being sent to, uh, sent across to Asia as a missionary for two years. And so he really felt the call of God on his life over there. And uh, But, you know, we're going to get into this a little bit about the evangelicals and Catholics together in this in this chapter. And, the, and at that point, you can call me in and I'll kind of give you a little bit more background of Richard's involvement against that movement and what he did. Because I remember, I remember... Uh, some of this, what we're going to be talking about in this chapter 15, when I was out on the truck from 1991 to 2001, you know, because, uh, 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 in other words, we're talking about, as you remember, as we've been going through this book, I mean, we started with, with Ribera in the futurist, dispensational futurism and futurism by Francis, Francisco Ribera. You know, but what is important about this broadcast, and one of the reasons we, we you know, uh, invited Richard Bennett on the broadcast today, is because uh, what we're this this chapter that we're talking about here is relevant to today. This this is facts on the ground. When and I'm and when we get into this chapter, it's not a long chapter. This is exactly what has happened. And where we're at in 2016, if 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 uh, in the 90s with Chuck Colson, what was that organization? Uh, Catholics and uh, Larry Evangelicals and Catholics together. Yes, I, I remember. I remember when this was going on when I was out in the truck, 
and uh, uh, I remember it happened. They had a weekend. I used to take my, uh, you know, I lived in a truck in, in a, a little town in eastern Washington, a little town called Quincy. Uh, I remember even experiencing this one weekend. They had, uh, they called it Unity in the Park. Uh, all the churches in that little town, little farm community, after after they had their services in their regular churches, they all met at the park. And, uh, of course, I didn't understand what was going on. I didn't have any Roman history at the time. And, and I, to tell you the truth, to really fully, until you understand sovereign grace, you fully haven't really underst- understood the gospel. Because uh, you see, and and so back in the, the reason I want to lay, lay this foundation before we start, see, is because we had to have this foundation before this before we could have 2008 when Ratzinger came over here and celebrated celebrated the, the American Revolution and the winning of the American Revolution, and and marched the drum and five corps. Uh, United States uh, team right in front of the Pope and, and Bush, they were celebrating the American Revolution. And then uh, with, without this footwork that we're talking about here today, you could not have had the visit in September uh, 24th, 2015 without laying the foundation with this, what we're going to be talking about. You had to have this ecumenical and this oneness and this, and putting people to sleep. It's like getting into a dentist chair and get and, and you know, and they give you some Novocaine so you don't feel the pain because there's very few Americans today that understood what happened on September 24th, 2015. They're not even aware that it even happened. But so with that, Larry, could you start? Could you start chapter fifteen and read? And let's, let's let's get into this this chapter. Okay, this is entitled "The Abandoning of the Protestant Reformed Religion." Apparently, careless of all that has gone before, leading evangelicals have chosen to ignore the lessons of the past and the testimonies of the saints and martyrs of Jesus. Seduced by the wiles of the devil and compromising their once sound doctrine. They have bowed to the modernizing pressures of the world, abandoning their Protestant identity, embracing ecumenism, and accepting individual Roman Catholics as brothers and sisters in Christ. The first and second National Evangelical Anglican Conferences that met at Kiel and Nottingham in England in 1967 and 1977, respectively, launched and furthered the new policy of Anglicans towards the fast-growing ecumenical movement. There was a new desire on the part of the new evangelicals to be united with ritualistic Anglicans, essentially Roman Catholics in belief and practice, and also to liberals who believed in the fallible Bible, but as the prophet Amos inquired, quote, can two walk together except they be agreed, end quote. Well-respected English evangelicals such as John Stott and J.I. Packer, whose writings have been held in high esteem by conservatives for many years, 
endorsed the statements from these conferences and in so doing set aside gospel truth in favor of, of accepting fellow Anglicans as true brothers and sisters in Christ. John Stott, author of Basic Christianity, who chaired the first NEAC at Kiel, gave that conference a warning that evangelicals acquired a reputation for narrow partnership and obstructionism, and they needed to repent and change. He made clear that the conference was accepting not only Anglo-Catholic and liberals as fellow Christians, but Roman Catholics too. Quote, all who confess the Lord Jesus as God and Savior according to the Scriptures and therefore seek together their common calling to the glory of one God, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit have a right to be treated as Christians, and it is on this basis that we wish to talk with them, end quote. Doctor, understand, I just want to share some personal things that happened in my life when I was out in the truck. I remember uh, it was um, also my mother and father went to one of Billy Graham's crusades, and uh, because you understand Billy Graham was the one that was paving the way, see. And then also, everybody's heard the promise keepers. And I remember, of course, at this, when this is going down, understand, Walt didn't know the, what the word Arminianism is, and I really didn't know the, the, the biblical gospel. See, because... The reformers taught the biblical gospel, and the promise keepers. Uh, I remember they they filled up uh, the kingdom there in Seattle. Before, and they of course since since, since uh, tore that one tore it down. But I didn't. I I, I I did. You know, at the time, I didn't see what was happening. See, this is all ecumenical. All. The promise keepers was Arminian, a hyper Arminian, and and so, I mean, I mean, and this was happening in in the the promise keepers uh, came about, uh, I, I believe, in about the mid nineteen 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 ninety five nineteen ninety six, but go ahead and, and continue, Larry. Okay, Doctor Jim Packard, author of Knowing God, by the way, I've read that book, it's an excellent book, who just a few years before in 1961 had described the doctrine of justification by faith alone, sola fide as like Atlas, it bears a world on its shoulders, the entire evangelical knowledge of saving grace changed his position in the early 1960s on this defining doctrine and signed up to Keel. Much later in 1994, he demonstrated his revised new evangelical view by also signing Evangelicals and Catholics Together, the document that has rocked American evangelicalism. In an article, quote, why I signed it, in quote, Professor Packer refers to sola fide as small print. He asked the question, may ECT or Evangelicals and Catholics Together realistically claim as in effect, it does that its evangelical and Catholic drafters agree on the gospel of salvation. Answer, yes and no. No, Professor Packer says, with respect to the small print, thus so a fight, a burning issue for Re Reformation martyrs and for Professor Packer, 
an issue that once bore a world on its shoulders is relegated to small print. <laughs> so, evangelicals and Catholics together. What many Christians believe to have been the most significant event in almost 500 years of church history took place on March 29, 1994. On that day, 20 leading evangelicals and 20 leading Catholic um, um, Roman Catholics signed the joint declaration, Evangelicals and Catholics Together. The Christian mission in the third millennium, 10 years later on May 30, 2004, the New York Times reported on this alliance between Catholics and Evangelicals that it is redefining Christianity in America. Now, before I go on, I just want to take a minute, if I can, and talk a little bit about the first document, Evangelicals and Catholics Together, because that is when Richard Bennett really got involved in this um, debate, as well as dialogue, as well as um, coming against it. Um, what? Uh, and by the way, this is also a part of his... Uh, you can go to Sermon Audio, and you can type in re, uh, Richard Bennett evangelicals and Catholics together, and you can get you can get your boat loaded on this one. Uh, now, we know that J.I. Packer was involved in this document, as well as Bill Bright, who's the founder of the Campus Crusade for Christ, as also Reverend Richard Niehaus, a uh, Catholic priest. John Stott, by the way, a lot of John Stott's literature uh, is used in Sabbath schools across the Reformed Presbyterian movement. Um, as well as people like Pat Robertson of the 700 Club. And uh, what happened, and James Dobson, of course, uh, focused on the family. And we've already mentioned Jim Colson. But uh, Richard uh, Bennett, along with a a number of other prominent leaders at that time. Now, by the way, just because I'm mentioning these leaders doesn't necessarily mean that Richard Bennett is in alliance with those, even those leaders today because they've made a lot of changes in the last five years. But the other people that were involved in that was R.C. Sproul, uh, Dr. John MacArthur. I guess I should have said Dr. R.C. Sproul, <laughs> Dr. John MacArthur, and, um, um, you know, and, and James Kennedy, who is now passed on Dr. D. James Kennedy, as well as... Uh, <sighs> Uh, Richard Bennett, they all took a very strong position against the uh, this document. They saw it as a very, very heretical thing to try to bring all of these bodies together in an ecumenical unity. And uh, Richard Bennett uh, asked uh, formally and openly and publicly for these brethren to repent uh, of their of their uh, uh, heresy. Of course, they never did repent. And in fact, uh, as a result of signing of this document, J.I. Packer went uh, back to Ireland where, of course, that is where Richard Bennett was born and that's where his family is. And, uh, you know, I've talked to Richard Privately about this as well on the phone, and he ind- indicated to me that you know he uh, um, 
J.I. Packer went all over Ireland propagating this new uh, ECLA and as well as many other people. I mean, uh, Dr. Bill Bright won the Templeton Award, a million-dollar award. And, you know, before Dr. Bill Bright died, passed away, of course, he was promoting um, the fact that we no longer needed to uh, preach the gospel among the Catholic uh, communities because they already had the gospel. And so uh, I'll continue here. You know, the, the, point, the point you just made there, too, Larry, the point that we have to shine our, and, and really focus on, you see, Roman Catholicism does not teach the gospel. This, this, is, this is the dividing line. They don't teach the gospel in Arminianism. See, Arminianism is another form of Catholicism, and and all of these mega churches are nothing. They're not preaching the gospel. They're preaching another gospel. This is so important, and I have to repent. The, the the thing the the men first of all Rome had to take the light off of herself and then blend in blend in because the more that you understand the gospel the true gospel Rome Rome sticks out like a sore thumb and when 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 a, when people are not taught the gospel. See, they're, t- they're teaching another vo- a gospel. They're teaching a man-centered religion. And this is why this book that we're reading, Michael DeSemblin's book, is so profound. Because once you understand, no, there's, there's no other books around that I've come across that make the distinction. You know, Revealing the Antichrist is one thing, but the most important thing, the most important thing is to be Christ-centered in the gospel. Because the gospel, if they're preaching the gospel, they're not going to unite. The gospel would completely destroy the ecumenical movement if if they were reading God's word, this is why it's so important, and it's kind of, you know, I'll just, let's, let's just be up in front in 2016. Now, now we understand where we're at. Now we understand why the Pope was able to come over here and speak from the podium to a joint session of Congress. Because it's all about religion. And it's about his story. And Rome, from her very inception, was to destroy the gospel. And that's what the Jesuits were, 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 were formed for, is to counter the Reformation, to counter the gospel. 
and without you know you know his story you know i i i when we think about history we have to stop and look at history through the eyes of the bible and look at it as as his story everything that we see going on in the world today is is about christ is it's about is about destroying christ that's why preaching the true gospel is was so important so the next so now, now this next thing that larry's going to read comes out of the the new york times may 30th 2014 this was right in the newspaper so could go ahead larry Yes, 10 years later on May 30, 2004, the New York Times reported on this alliance between the Catholics and the Evangelicals that is redefining Christianity in America. In 1960, quote, the last time a Roman Catholic ran for president on the Democratic ticket, Evangelical Protestant leaders warned their flocks that electing John F. Kennedy would be like handing the old office to the Antichrist. Forty-four years later, evangelicals and conservative Catholics have forged an alliance that is reshaping American politics and culture. Now, before I continue, I want to just point out that this book by Mark uh, Michael D. Simelon, uh he was very good friends. He is very good friends with Richard Bennett. In fact, in the acknowledgments of this book on page 232, it says, I would like also to single out Richard Bennett, a special brother in the Lord, who has helped me with a great deal on a number of issues. So just know that Michael D. Simlin and Richard D. Bennett, uh, Richard Bennett have worked for years together, and they are brothers in Christ. Now we're going on, and it says, uh, it says exactly 10 years ago, a group of evangelicals and Catholic leaders and scholars released a document called Evangelicals and Catholics Together. It was the result of a dialogue started by Reverend Richard John Newhouse, a Catholic priest in New York who edits the journal First Things, and Charles Colson. The two men convened a group of prominent theologians and religious leaders. The evangelical sides included the late Bill Bright, founder of Campus Crusade for Christ, the religious broadcaster Pat Robertson, and theologians like J.I. Packer, James I. Packer, the Catholic side included the late Cardinal John O'Connor of New York and the theologian Avery Dulles, now a Cardinal. Their a manifesto, Jesuit. yes, he's a Jesuit. Uh, <clears throat> their manifesto was primarily theological, but they included overt political pledges to work together on issues like abortion, government aid for religious schools, and strengthening the traditional family, in part a reaction to the growing gay rights movement, the doc document shook the evangelical world. By 2000, Mr. Colson and James Dobson, the broadcaster who founded Focus on the Family, were invited to Vatican. Evangelical institutions like Wheaton College in Illinois and Gordon College in Massachusetts began invite inviting Catholics to speak on cam uh, campus. The evangelicals... Go ahead. That, that was at the... Now, Larry just finished the article that came out of the newspaper on May 30th, 2004. But, you know, people might remember that uh, Chuck Colson, you know, he was he was uh, uh, put in prison for a short term for Watergate. And then uh, 
he got educated in, uh, and joined the ecumenical movement. And then James Dobson. James Do- Dobson. Now, you correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Larry, but this is a flaming, hyper, flaming, hyper, hyper, hyper <laughs> Arminius, James Dobson. Yeah, he's a pseudo-psychologist. I mean, he, that's what he promoted, you know, psychology. And, of course, he's, he's, he's in the Nazarene movement, which is a, a Wesleyan, proclaimed Wesleyan in doctrine. But, uh, yeah, he, he promoted, what, you know, what I call uh, pseudo-psychology, pseudo-psychological humanism, you know. And I, I used to listen to him when I was out on the truck. And, uh, you know, I remember writing a letter because they were – mentioning uh, FDR, you know, Roosevelt, you know, and that Roosevelt prayed for us as we entered the war. And I remember writing a, it was about a four-page letter and explaining to James Dobson that, that, uh, that Roosevelt was a Freemason. <laughs> but listen, <laughs> you know, that I was back in, you know, I, that was back about 1995. Little as little I know at the time, I mean, James Dobson's a 33rd degree Mason. I mean, yeah, he's, he's, I mean, he's, in, he's involved in a lot of, you know, he's involved with a lot of those leaders like Phyllis Shafley, who is a, a dame of Malta. <laughs> and, uh, you see, the main, thing to, the main thing to understand here. Is, in other words, that these men teach a false gospel because it's the gospel they're trying. The true gospel is what they're trying to destroy. Go ahead, Larry. Okay. Uh, yeah, the Evangelical and Catholics Together document, which overturns the Reformation and does devastating damage to the cause of Christ, was actually begun as a specific task in September 1992. Larry Lewis of the Southern Baptist Convention, Jesse Miranda of the Assemblies of God, John White of the Geneva College, by the way, that's supposedly a Reformed college, of the National Association of Evangelicals and others, including two Jesuits, Avery Dulles and Juan Dias Weiler, joined Colson and Nihaus, um in writing in the writing process, all of this was under the watchful eye of Jesuit Cardinal Idris Cassidy, the head of Rome's Pontifical Council for promoting Christian unity, said by Newhouse, to have given very active support throughout the process. <laughs> the document urges Catholics and evangelicals to stop aggressive proselytism of each other's flocks, which is code for evangelicals must not preach the true gospel to Catholics. It further states leading Catholics and evangelicals are asking their flocks for for a remarkable leap of faith to finally accept each other as Christians. As former Roman Catholic priest and author Richard Bennett laments in his excellent book, Catholicism, East of Eden. Now this is a quote out of Richard's book. Quote, the devastating effect of the new evangelical compromise with the gospel is a stop to the evangelical and Catholics across the world. If this compromise of the true gospel of Jesus Christ is accepted, 
then Bible-believing churches will refrain from evangelizing Catholics. The impact on the true church in third world Catholic countries of Central and South America, in Africa, as well as in Spain, Portugal, and the Philippines is already apparent. If this anti-evangelical trend continues unchecked, it will become ruinous to the spiritual welfare of millions of souls. But this is exactly the policy of ECT. Signatories promote when they state, it is neither theologically legitimate nor a prudent use of resources for one Christian community to proselyte another active adherence of another Christian community. Since when has it been theologically illegitimate to expose error and heresy? I'm going to comment. I want to make just, you know, the thing that I, I'm, the reason I'm bringing this up is because I've overlooked the importance of it. <laughs> you know, you see, yeah, it, it, it's not that we're that that we're trying we're anti-Catholic. We're anti-Catholic. See, it's the reason why we we focus this is is on the on the Roman Catholics. They don't have the gospel. They're preaching a false they're a, a false gospel, and the and the ecumenical movement has has joined. In other words, Rick Warren teaches the same gospel. John Hagee. They all all different flavors, you understand. There's different flavors. But it's all the same. The point here is to be Christ centered. They're taking the center off of the Bible and the in the center of the Bible is the gospel from Genesis to Revelation. That's <clears throat> okay, Larry. Well, yeah, and one of the points that I'd like to make is that how is the Roman Catholic Church uh, preaching another gospel? Well, let's just look at the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. You know, they are re-sacrificing Christ all over again in the Mass, which is a denial of the completed, perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Okay, and so and now how are the Arminians getting away from the gospel? They're saying that the gospel is through the free will of man rather than the sovereign grace of Jesus Christ. And so what Walt is saying is that how they're similar, how they're alike, is they're both based upon works, okay, and not on grace. Now we're getting into a section called True and False Ecumenism. True ecumenical unity is clearly defined in the scriptures. In the words of the Apostle Paul, there is one body and one spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Thus, followers of Christ who place their faith solely in the one triune God and his written word, as did the Lord and apostles after him, sola scriptures, are one in body, in spirit, and in truth. They are saved before the all-holy God by grace alone, through faith alone, sola gratia, through faith alone, sola fida, and in Christ alone, sola Christo. And all glory and praise is to God alone, soli dio gloria. Through the centuries, these five biblical principles or solas have helped the persecuted church hold fast to the simplicity of the gospel. True ecumenism is a fellowship or working together in adherence to these solas which maintain the foundation of true unity in the Lord to the degree to which these key basic principles 
standards are embraced, true unity will be evident. On the other hand, false ecumenism, and just remember that that whole that term ecumenical originated at the Council of Trent. Okay. On the other hand, false ecumenism, typically institutionalized, joins together professing Christian groups in common causes and activities with one or more of the parties involved unconverted. While purporting to confess the Lord Jesus Christ, according to the Scriptures, for the most part, the five basic principles of solas that display the basic basis of true unity in the Lord are compromised. The extent to which these principles are not upheld usually indicates the degree of submission of the particular church or organization to Rome. The World Council of Churches is such an institution. Those organizations participating within it have no agreement on any of the five principles demonstrating the foundation of true unity solely in the Lord Jesus Christ. Likewise, the Pope and his church in apostasy from the true gospel are without any of the five biblical standards, counterfeiting the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. They are intent on finding successful ways to bind all to the visible, active, and attractive pontifical throne. Let us recall the Jesuit statement in the notorious letter found in Archbishop Laud's study. Our foundation is Arminianism. What was written in the letter has proven to be prophetic. It flourisheth and beareth fruit in due season, and we hope it will purge the Protestants from their heresy. Yes, it doth flourish in our day, and the majority of the Protestants have been purged from their faith of free and sovereign grace. This faith, the one and only true gospel, which the papacy sets out to out overturned with its counter-reformation launched at the Council of Trent in 1545 to 1563, is often now derided even by professing Protestants as hyper-Calvinism. The Jesuits and Arminians would seem to have succeeded beyond their wildest dreams. Comments, Larry? Yeah. Well, the author addresses what we addressed earlier in the book, that what what I have witnessed is, uh, you know, I was taught election uh, by just listening to the Bible, and then I was, I, you know, I was under a sovereign grace minister that I used to take when I was in the truck for. I used to get all his sermons, Conrad Gerald, and he and I used to get one one cassette a week. But every time that I've ever had a time, when I, I don't, I've, maybe you might say that I've been kind of meek. Any time that I'd ever bring up the word election, I was labeled with a hyper-Cal, I was a hyper-Calvinist. And the, and the truth of it is, I didn't even know what a hyper-Calvinist was. You know, but, but the author addresses this. That's the first thing they try to do. You mentioned election and our free will. And talk about free willism. You're a hyper Calvinist. You got a comment on that, Larry? Yes, that's exactly right. They try to uh, get a person's mind off of Christ and on a particular ism. You know, in other words, they don't want to uh, ever give anyone the idea that you're proclaiming the true gospel. 
In other words, they want to try to make out like you're actually in a, in some kind of a sideline heretical doctrine and so on. And and of course, they have lots of words for it. They have a hyper Calvinism, antinomianism, hard shell, um, and and people who are denying the responsibility of man, and on and on and on. And so what we have to do is we have to realize that this is a smokescreen <laughs> that's been put up. Uh, and it's false. It's a false allegation to get our minds off of the true gospel again and back to this unity, the, the what they call the unity of the faith, which is the unity of hereticism with Rome. <laughs> so... Um, because yeah. the because the the reformers taught free and sovereign grace exactly exactly for by grace you are saved through faith it's not of yourselves it is a gift of God and you That's know right. th- th- now this th- now this this that verse when you when you you that causes all kinds of stir you know and and not, now I I'm just when when I if I get that rejection, I'm just going to rest in Christ. You know, this is another thing that the world is not that the that that the Arminianist and the Pope doesn't want anybody to believe. And you know, it's it's all grace and no works. Now you're going to have some works, but salvation is sovereign grace. Yes, and, and the point is that the works, okay, um, do not precede salvation. They they are a result of it. In other words, we are chosen in him before the foundation of the world to be conformed to the image of his son. The only reason that we are conformed to the image of his son is because we've been chosen in him first. <laughs> okay. Okay, we're going to just go on. And the prophet saith, when the enemy shall come in like a flood... The Spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against him. Friends, this is a solemn matter. The end result of our Arminianism is this. There's a generation that are pure in their own eyes and yet is not washed from their filthiness. It is not to the Arminian that the Lord saith, He feedeth on ashes, a deceived heart hath turned him aside, and he cannot deliver his soul, nor say, Is there a lie in my right hand? Woe, Arminians, because with lies you have made the heart of the righteous sad, whom I have not made. From his pulpit at the Metropolitan Tabernacle, C.H. Spurgeon was forthright in his declaration of the doctrines that he believed comprised the revealed truth of God. Quote, now this is C.H. Spurgeon. It is no novelty, then, that I am, pre- that I am preaching no new doctrine. I love to proclaim these strong old doctrines which are called by nickname Calvinism, but which are surely and verily the revealed truth of God as it is in Christ Jesus. By this truth I make pilgrimage into the past, and as I go I see father after uh, father, confessor after confessor, martyr after martyr, standing up to shake hands with me. Were I a Pelagian or a believer in the doctrine of free will, I should have to walk for centuries all alone. Here and there a heretic of no very honorable character might rise up and call me brother, but taking these things to be a standard of my faith, I see the land of the ancient people with my brethren. 
I behold multitudes who confess the same as I do and acknowledge that this is the religion of God's own church. Of course, he's speaking of sovereign grace in contrast to Arminianism. Uh, and also, C.H. Yeah. Uh, Spurgeon also refers to the same thing the author said, you know, that they, it, which are called by nickname Calvinists. Yes, yes. So he refers to the very same thing that in today. I mean, because that's when people shut off when they, when you say uh, election, sovereign grace, you know, you're hyper Calvin, and then it goes, then then it goes into a debate, you know. But there's no debate in God's word. Yeah, and I, I want to just let everybody know. I know if everybody is like uh, myself and uh, Walt, we probably were disappointed that Richard couldn't be with us. I received an email from him last night, and he apologized. He's been very, very uh, under the weather, had to seek medical attention. And uh, maybe we'll be able to get him back on if his health uh, you know, was able to do that. But he he did apologize. He requested everyone's prayers. And uh, I just wanted to let everybody know that. Going on, to lay aside the regeneration of the divine, person of the Holy Spirit, and to replace this by faith and confidence in a man-centered message is fatal. In such teaching, instead of a divine person being the sole efficient cause of being born again, an individual's thoughts and affections remain on himself. This is religion substituting for a real relationship with the living God. Indeed, simple men like to have it so. He wishes to have all aspects of his life under his control. In this respect, Catholicism and Arminianism serve him well, as they both appeal to his pride. The great problem with all of this is the inner emptiness and unregenerated lifestyle that goes with such teachings. Contrasting with this, the real Christian hopes, hope is that the Spirit of God will beget a new a, a man to a new life in Christ. Those who are begotten to a new and spiritual life are quickened to a new and lively hope. In the words of the Apostle Peter, quote, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Quote. Where there is true faith and love of the Lord, there is in the midst of all things a joy unspeakable and full of glory. In Arminianism, however, this foundation of deep inner fellowship with the Lord is missing. The belief that salvation begins by Christ first coming into the simple heart of a man is unscriptural. The dead and ungodly person can be made acceptable to God only by being in Christ, as the New Testament makes very clear. To the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. And I just want to interject here. What he's speaking of here is that he's speaking of election. He's, he's speaking of being chosen in him from the foundation of the world. He's speaking of what happened to the Gentiles there in Acts, where it says as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. And we see this theme running, like uh, Walt says, throughout the Old and the New Testament, you know. I knew you while you were yet in the womb, <laughs> okay, uh, before you were born, you know. I mean, Christ knew us before creation even, so... Compared to this, Arminianism is soul damning. It assumes that the 
human heart is a fit place for Christ to dwell, and it takes for granted that the human person initiates salvation. We often hear appeals or invitations such as accept Jesus into your heart as he himself asks you in his word, and behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and will sup with him and he with me. The misuse of this text is to imply that salvation does in fact begin in the human heart is a serious deception. Now, the reason that that's the case, I'm going to just interject, is because we're dead in our trespasses and sin. This is actually a denial of the fall of Adam. It's denial of original sin going on. The invitation expressed in Revelation 3:20 20 through 21 is given after the Lord had rebuked the Laodiceans with a list of reprehensible sins and then commanded them to repent. I rebuke and chasten, be zealous therefore and repent. Fellowship with the Lord is not without repentance and faith. The misuse of this text without the vital foundation is destructive to all Christian living. A person's only hope lies outside of himself and in Christ Jesus by his worth and power. Christ Jesus himself proclaimed the spiritual deadness and wickedness of the human heart, that which cometh out of the man, that defileth the man. For with for from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornication, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile the man. In the scripture, salvation is seen consistently to be in Christ. <clears throat> and so you know, I just want to make one other comment. You know, That is what is referred to. In John 3, where Christ said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. Go ahead, Walt. You know, I wanted to say, too, guest 9 said, Paul the Apostle taught the doctrines of grace, yes, and also Jesus taught Calvinism in John 6, 36 and 40. Uh, and, you know, the reason I was bringing this up is, Nick, you know, I, they, I, what I, what the point that I'm trying to make is is they want to, 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 re, to refute grace they want to uh say you're you know they want to they want to uh they use it as as, as in the kind of an a what's it as a in other words it's biblical you yes know, when you in other words calvin it's lutheranism it's calvinism so and so the, and, and the one of the things that is that is practiced all over you'll see it is is they like to pick on grab a hold of a reformer and and pull a reformer apart, see, and that's the trap I'm I'm saying, you know, because because yes, you know, grace is 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 biblical. It's taught. The Bible teaches it. You know, that's that was my point. Yes. Well, you know, it says here that God's holiness is the distinguishing factor among all of His essential characteristics. We need to be in right standing for the all holy sovereign God on the. The terms he prescribes. God's word determines that one cannot be right before God and remain true to Arminian teaching. As we have seen, it contradicts and opposes the truth of the Bible on the defining matter of how any person enters into relationship with him. You may cling to such teachings and traditions to your own eternal peril, or you may do what so many men and women have done before you, turn to the sovereign God in faith alone for the salvation that he gives alone, by the conviction of the Holy Spirit based on Christ's death and resurrection for his own elect 
and believe on him alone to the praise of his glory in grace. And I'll just say this, that, you know, it's not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but God that showeth mercy. Now, I'm going to quote Spurgeon here. We quote Spurgeon again and let him have the final word on this crucial matter. Quote, and I have my own private opinion that there is no such thing as preaching Christ and him crucified unless you preach what nowadays is called Calvinism. You know, that's what they're calling it. In other words, they're replacing the gospel with the word Calvinism. And he and Spurgeon says, I have my own ideas and those I always state boldly, it is a nickname to call Calvinism. Calvinism is the gospel and nothing else. I do not believe we can preach the gospel unless we preach the sovereignty of God in his dispensation of grace, nor unless we exalt the electing, unchangeable, eternal, immutable, conquering love of Jehovah, nor, I think, can we preach the gospel unless we base it upon the peculiar redemption which Christ made for his elect and chosen people, nor can I comprehend the gospel which lets saints fall away after they are called, after having believed. Thus saith the Lord, Stand ye in the ways, and see, and ask for the old paths. Where is the good way? And walk therein, and ye shall find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk therein. Well, well, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's uh, it was, uh, you know, it was it was meant to be that uh, Richard Bennett wasn't here. I mean, you know, that today, but praise God, uh, he was. Uh, he was in the message here on page 156, and uh, and to know more about, uh, of, of, you know, Richard Richard Bennett is to is to go to his sermon audio, and I think you'll find it. I mean, I I did. I've listened to to uh, uh, Richard Bennett, but uh, I mean, it was very his testimony, you know, of being a priest for 21 years, and it's. Uh, very well, very well done. I mean, he goes all the way back over to Ireland, and from the same spot, you know, where he gave confessions, he he makes comments, and right where he was educated and ordained, you can kind of, uh, and also because of this reading of this book, I feel that uh, you know the you know the attack that he's been, you know. You know, there's some big name. You know, he has rubbed elbows with some of the bigger names, and you know, and he he went against uh, the evangelicals together, the movement back in I think it was about 1992 or 1993. So, and I can so, tell you by by Richard has told me this. Uh, you know, there's um, a lot of churches that he at one time was allowed to speak in that no longer he is no longer uh welcome there because of his stand against arminianism he's no longer welcome and so he has become <laughs> over the years more put it like this he's become more and more rejected just like Christ says if you're in Christ you're going to suffer persecution and uh you know that is what all Christians, including people on this call, 
we should expect that if we're in Christ, we're going to suffer persecution. We're going to we're going to be you know we're going to be turned out of the synagogues. They're going to deliver you up to councils. Uh, you know, I've been excommunicated from a church. You know, and so on. And so, you know, we're living in you know we're living in perilous times. It says that uh, you know that. Uh, that there'll come a time when they'll no longer endure sound doctrine. They'll be turned unto fables, you know, and so we're commanded to come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. So that's the relevance, that's the exhortation, that's the admonition for us uh, after having read through this book. Right, right. Well, well, uh, uh, today... Late later on, uh, on Michael Adams' uh, broadcast, and uh, here I'm going to check the time here. Um, uh, he's going to have Mike McGinnis is going to be uh, uh, on, on uh, and I'm just going to give you the time. It's going to be at uh, 7:30 Eastern Standard Time, so that's three hours and 29 minutes. And I I listened. Last week, Mike McGinnis was a guest on on uh, our our nothing but the truth, and I think you'll find it uh, you'll feel you feel some fellowship. There's a true fellowship when you get uh, uh, people that understand that uh, you know that it is that it's all Christ, and it's not uh, not our free will. You know, it's a it's a humbling it's humbling. Because I, I tell you, I, I for the first time in my life, I, I and I under, I used to say this, I used to say this. I, I've always known that uh, religion was the largest business in the world, you know. But uh, you know, it's in, in other words, and because it's a, it has it turned into uh, a man-centered religion, and that's and and Rome was uh, was. Uh, a keynote, uh, you know. In other words, in 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 today now, the the they're 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 going. I'm I'm looking for a quote here that was in. Uh, in I was looking for a quote. Here. I can't find it. Right, some type of tip of my you know. But uh, anyway, listen. I'm going to close the broadcast today, and. And like I said, it was a little disappointing to, for Larry and I both is that uh, that uh, Richard Bennett couldn't make it, but there, you know, it was that's the way it was it was meant to be. And and uh, but I'll tell you one thing: I I I, I was telling Larry just before the broadcast, I have a uh, there's a part of me that I, after I've started studying and understanding a little bit what um, uh, uh, Richard Bennett's life. That I realized that he uh, has taken some some big hits, <laughs> you know. I mean, especially in this old world, when you you uh, you you know you go against uh, because what has happened in this ecumenical movement is is uh, it's created a lot of popes, and I think like uh, I think too uh, we all get sometimes with uh, a popish ad- attitude, <laughs> you know, in so, but do you have any closing comments, Larry? Uh, no, I think you summed it up very good. Yeah. So anyway, we'll we'll uh, 
see you tomorrow, and I appreciate. God bless, and we'll uh, we'll see you tomorrow. At well, at the, at at the regular time, it's going to be uh, twelve o'clock, uh, East, Eastern Standard Times. So going going back to the the old time. So, God bless, and we'll see you tomorrow. Bye for now. Lucky Land Casino asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky in line at the deli, I guess. Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.